Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're kicking off a new series called... Yeah, all right, New City. My name is Dave. I'm one of your pastors. It is my joy to be sharing from God's Word. We're going to be in Hebrews 11 and 12 today. I'd encourage you, it's on page 1007 in the Bibles in front of you. If you have a different Bible, I have no idea what page number it's on. Uh, you'll, have to, you'll have to figure that out. Glad that you're here. We're going to kind of be looking at a little bit of that, but, but since we're kicking off a new series, uh, kind of today is the first day. We're going to kind of you know, kind of answer the questions. Where are we going? Why are we doing this? What are we doing? And, and all of that, uh, and it's going to be exciting. I want to welcome those of you who are here, those who are at broadcast campuses or online, however you're joining us. I really believe that God has something for you in this series, and it's not an accident that you're here. Um, if, if you've been around at all, you know that I'm not the best at home improvements, and that really hasn't been true ever in my life. But it was really true when I was younger, and we had this tiling project, and I had no idea. I'd never tiled anything. I didn't really know anybody who tiled, or maybe I just didn't want to ask anybody. And so I just went to Home Depot, and I bought tiling one, two, three, because this is how you can do complex home improvement tasks, right, is just buying the book and learning how to do it. And so I kid you not, here I am. I've got the book open in one hand. And I've got like the, the tile, you know, little thing. And I'm, I am literally like, okay, step one, step two. It was a disaster. I have no pictures to show you because we don't take pictures of our failures, right? It's only the good stuff that we, you know, we take pictures of and remember. It was, there was, uh, you know, things, people would hurt themselves on it, right? It was dangerous. It was ugly. Thank goodness it was like this obscure mudroom that nobody ever used. That's the only redeeming part of that. Here's the thing, is that when it comes to our journey with Christ, we kind of have a tiling one, two, three, a Jesus one, two, three attitude, right? That we're just going to kind of do it on our own. We can just kind of figure things out. But what's the best way to learn how to tile? From someone who knows how to tile, right? It's for them to sit down with you, to have this process where, where you're doing it together and you're asking your questions and you're interacting around the task at hand. Christianity is meant to happen in context of community. That's why Jesus has given us the church. That's why Jesus gives us small group communities. That's been happening since Acts chapter 2. This is just not a solo thing. We are made for community. We are made for relationships. We are made to walk with someone who has been a little bit further down the road and can speak into our situation. This is important. I don't want you to miss this. We're not just signing people up for small groups because we think it's cool and we want as many people in small groups. We do small groups because we think this is what the church is meant to do. There's a lot of us here at Epicos that are new to our faith or young in life. And and our tendency is to self-select, right? And I've talked to some people. It's like I'm looking for like a bunch of other people my age, right? I'd encourage you, the beauty of what God is doing here at Epicos is diversity. Uh, Both ethnic diversity, age diversity, background diversity, and that is what the kingdom of God is. And when we are in real communities where we do life with each other, people who we normally might not even interact with, there is a 
power of God that is unleashed that goes beyond just Jesus 1, 2, 3. Amen? What are we doing? We are learning and growing in community, right? And we happen to be going through a sermon series, but that's what we're doing is we're becoming better disciples together in context of community. And what we're doing is we're going to take a, uh, a flyover of the New Testament from after John. We just got done with the book of John. We're going we're gonna to pick it up in Acts, and we're going to fly over all the way through the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, between now and the end of August. Now, if you're, you've been around the Bible for a while, you're kind of doing the math, and you're like, Dave, I don't think we can do that, right? That, that's a valid question. But what, we're, what we sometimes do is, when we, when we come to a book of the Bible, we do a, a hike, right? And we show up on Sunday morning, and we're going to cover about five or six verses. And we're doing a deep dive. That's the equivalent of hiking through the woods. Look at that silver birch over there. Did you see the texture of this leaf here? It's beautiful, right? Sometimes, though, we drive, right? We get in a car, and we're going chapter by chapter, a couple chapters at a time. We're making good time. We can still see the contour of the land. We can see the rolling hills. We experience what Scripture has for us. This series, we are getting in a plane. We are climbing to 30,000, 50,000 feet, and we are moving, okay? We are moving. Have you ever taken a helicopter tour? I haven't. I'm just wondering if anybody, <laughs> anybody has. You have, a couple of you, all right? Have you ever had a really chatty airline pilot, right? I, I have, and I remember we were flying somewhere kind of close to the Grand Canyon, and he's like, if you'll look out the left side of your plane, way in the distance is the Grand Canyon, you know, whatever was going on. And what was funny is there was three different reactions of people. There was about a third of the people who immediately whipped open their, their window and their noses pressed to the glass. They are, they are trying to see the Grand Canyon. Then there's another third of the people who are generally interested. Oh, that's interesting. And they're con they'll tilt, right? You know, they'll tilt and look. And then there's another third of the people on the plane who are absolutely annoyed that anybody is interested in the Grand Canyon and their windows are open. You know, they're trying to get sleep or get work done or whatever. Let me challenge you. This is not just a flyover for you to take a glance at the New Testament. The opportunity and the value in this is if you're reading through the New Testament as we go along, right? And this is a challenge. I, I, I did the math. In my Bible, it's about 120 pages of what we're covering, okay? And, and we're going from Pentecost to Patmos, right? And we are going to pick it up in Acts, and we're going to go all the way through the book of Revelation. And here's what I would say. When you take off, in the New Testament, when you take off the Gospels, and I would encourage you, you don't have to read through Revelation a lot right now. Kind of, you can wait until we get there. So if you just go from the beginning of the book of Acts until the end of Jude, it's about 120 pages. And if you just, you know, kind of say, I'm going to do five pages a day, you're actually going to work through that, that section of the New Testament about once a month, even if you miss a couple of days. Think about that. And this is the most vital, important, crucial part of Scripture for us as disciples to know and understand and apply. Just imagine over this next season if you let it wash over you. If you are one of the people who is actually opening your window and looking and searching and taking it in, I promise that God has something important, life-changing for you in his word, in this season, in this community. What are we doing? We're doing a flyover. 
And I would even say that you're going to hear kind of different songs. Um, I kind of like the greatest hits collections, you know what I mean? And so sometimes when we get to a book of the Bible, and by the way, we're going to cover most books that we're going through in one week. Yep. We start at the beginning of the book, we cover the whole book in that week. But here's our approach. Is some, sometimes when we get to a book, and we'll take, some of them take two or three weeks, but it might be the greatest hit of that book, right? Like if you, if you don't hear any other part of 1 Corinthians, here's what you need to hear, right? Here's the greatest hit. Sometimes we'll be doing medleys. Medleys aren't something that we do anymore, but they were popular in the 70s, right? And you kind of have a song, and it's part of one song, and part of another song, and part of another song. So sometimes we'll get to a book, and we'll kind of pick up the highlights of the book, right? And kind of work our way through, and it's kind of like a medley song. And then some of them are going to be deep tracks, right? If you, if you listen to radio ever, and they, this is a deep track. You know, the album has a, has a hit on it, but nobody listens to this. And sometimes we might go to an important part that's often overlooked in one of these books, and we'll, we'll kind of cover some deep tracks. So we'll be doing greatest hits, some medleys, some deep tracks. But one of the important things that we'll be doing is all along the way building for you, as a student of Scripture, a framework of the history and the literature and the theology of the New Testament as a whole. And this is crucial because it's an important part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Often when we're reading Scripture or we're hearing it preached or we're even studying it, we're looking mostly at that last part, right? The theology of what is happening. What does this passage of Scripture say about God? How can I apply it to my life and that sort of thing? In this, in this series, for each book, we're going to give you a framework and the tool so that you can understand the history and the literature. So, for example, most of the New Testament is made up of epistles, which we don't really have as a genre of literature anymore, but was extremely common and popular in the Roman times. And so it's an, there's an actual kind of way to understand and, and approach an epistle. And so for us to really be good students of the Word, we have to know that. Here's why that's important. Because this is the ball game. And just hang with me. This, this, is, this is the truth, this is the reality on which all of the work in Scripture hangs. And something has happened in, in less than the last hundred years that has uprooted us as an entire culture from the truth and reality of Scripture, and I would say even truth and reality as a thing. Okay? We're very aware that we live in a world where it's you do you, I'll do me, right? You have your truth, I have my truth, we're just going to kind of all get along. And once we understand why this is important, this all will make sense why we're kind of in this unhinged kind of season of history, if you will. I have a chart, I think we have it, um, of kind of the, the spectrum of meaning. And so you can see there's this, there's this way that we've always looked for the meaning. Where is the meaning? Where is the truth of something that's written? And we've always said it's the author's intent. What did that real author who wrote at a real point in history in a real genre of literature, whether it's poetry or narrative or epistle or whatever. What did that person mean to the people he was or she was writing to? What was the author's intent of that? And once we understand the context and all of that sort of thing, then we understand the meaning, that that's where the meaning is. But over time, we have completely shifted to this end. 
where I, as the reader, I come and I read something, right? And I say, I am the source of meaning of what this means. I read it, and what it means to me is what it means. And what it means to you is what it means to you. You see how this happened? This, if we float over and we become disciples who are completely not understanding the history and the literature and the context of the New Testament, we simply become another voice, right, in the pluralism around us, in the sweep of, of POMO thinking, where we're just like, yeah, I read it and this is what it means for me. This is why it's crucial as the disciple of Jesus Christ that we be grounded in understanding what was the human author's intent. And of course, the author behind all of Scripture is God. And what is his intent? What is his meaning? What is the reality that he's inviting us into? This is the ball game. And we do all of this in community. It's community. The other thing that's important to understand before we jump into Hebrews is that Christian thinking is linear, not cyclical. Okay? Pretty much every system of thought that's not based on the Word of God has a very similar view that all of history, everything that has happened throughout all sense of time is just one big repeating loop. And you can see that in movies, you can see that in literature. It's just this one big repeating loop, and no matter how far back in time or how forward in time you get, it's just like, it's a record on repeat, okay? Just is going to continue to loop. And that's kind of the sense. Christian thinking, Christian theology, the Word of God makes very clear there is a start. It's a moment called creation. And there is an end. There is an end to everything in this physical world. And if we understand that it started in a garden, we need to understand that from Scripture's point, it ends in a city. It starts in a garden, and it ends in a city. Specifically, what the Bible refers to as the New Jerusalem. And so as we're entering into this series called Revealing a New City... It is just that. We are asking that God would give us eyes of faith that he would reveal to us where we're going. Because that's important. In order to do that, we will need eyes of faith. If you're a note taker, we're asking the question, what, why, and where, and you can put other stuff in there too. But the second one is we will need eyes of faith. Eyes of faith. Turn to Hebrews 11. It's considered the, the chapter of faith, the, the hall of fame of faith. And it starts with a, a, a partial definition of faith, a functional definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made, made out of things that are visible. So I understand that this whole passage that we're going through is about faith, and that's part of what we're talking about today, but let me just show you this. The universe that was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So there is the world that we can experience through our senses, the universe, if you will, 
But the things that we see did not have their pre-existence in things that are seen. They have their, their pre-existence in God, in things that are unseen. And this process of the universe coming to be, right, is God speaking it. And, and it, the things that we see are actually not the truest true reality. And then in order to access the unseen reality, things like God in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to have eyes of faith. This is what the whole book of John was about, right? That the word, the preexistent uh, second person of the Godhead, Jesus, came in human form, revealed who God was, gave, opened our spiritual eyes to give us eyes of faith that we might understand that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, right? The fulfillment of all the Old Testament scripture. Um, let's move down to, I'm going to skip over all the Hall of Faith. It's this beautiful wondrous walking through of all the old testament saints the men and women who believed in god and persevered it's beautiful you need to read it this week but i just want to focus in on abraham verse 9 by faith he abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents and isaac and jacob heirs with him of the same promise if you were here for our our promise plan series, right? We talked about this, number of the stars, and talked about the promise plan and how God is working all these things, pointing to the Messiah, right? For he, Abraham, was looking forward to what? Jesus, right? For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Jump down to verse 13. These all died in faith, all these men and women of the Old Testament. They were looking forward to Jesus the Messiah, but the author of Hebrews is past Jesus, his death and resurrection. He's in our same period of time, and he says these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They did not fully receive all that God had promised them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar with the eyes of faith and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land, the promised land, from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a the new Jerusalem. God is revealing, part of his plan is revealing this new city. And part of this is asking the ultimate end, right? Uh, if you want to get fancy of it, and sometimes I like to do, it's called the telos, the ultimate end of all things, right? What is our telos? And so in the Old Testament, I think we've got some pictures of this, they're looking forward and they're seeing Jesus the Messiah, right? So all along history, they're looking forward and they're seeing th there's this time that's coming, the kingdom of God, the king of this kingdom. God is going to make things right, right? They're looking forward to Jesus the Messiah. But we're not in the Old Testament. We're not looking forward to Jesus. We're in, in between, right? And so we can go to the next one and we're looking back to the person and work of Jesus Christ. This, by the way, is how you begin the relationship with God, by, by how your eyes of faith are initially opened, is you look on the work and person of Jesus Christ, and, and you cling to him for your salvation and your forgiveness, and you bring all that you have, all your junk, and you say, please forgive me, and he does. 
not because of anything that you do or how often you go to church, but because of his graciousness. That's why he came. That's what his work was. And he began the kingdom of God, this new creation. But we don't just look back. We look forward. To what? To the ultimate conclusion and the kingdom of God being perfectly established. Jesus initiated the kingdom, but it is not yet fully here. We've talked about that kind of over the years. We're, we're, it's, it's already, but not yet. We're in this middle tension, but we are still looking forward to this ultimate end, right? Along with all the saints of the Old Testament, we are longing for the perfect revelation of God's perfect kingdom and his perfect justice and his righteousness flowing down and we experience it and the world is redeemed and things are set right. This is what our heart should long for. When we see what's wrong in the world around us, it's the echo of that image of that new city that we long for. In order for us to see it, we need a revelation. And if you're new to Scripture, you think that's just a book at the end, right? It's not. Revelation is when God opens our eyes and we can understand. And each and every one of us, we need a revelation to understand what our ultimate end is. Because the ultimate end of all things, once fully understood, will help us understand our part in it. Because each of us in this human experience are asking, what did God make me for? Why am I here? What is he calling me to do? And until we understand the ultimate end, we can't understand our part in it. You and I, we need a revelation. It needs to be revealed to us with the eyes of faith. Then last, so we'll need eyes of faith. What, uh, what, when, where, why, how, who, right? We need eyes of faith, and finally, we are becoming unshakable. Because here's where this goes. Hebrews 12, picking it up in verse 20, and just kind of to summarize, the author here is making this point that the Old Testament was really all about Mount Sinai. The giving of the law, that's a location where, where Moses received the law. And he's contrasting that mountain with Mount Zion and this new city, right? So he's, he's kind of talking about the two covenants, the old and the new. He's talking about the work of Jesus and kind of what it's all going to. And it's all in these two contrasting things in verse 20. And he's kind of wrapping up talking about Mount Sinai. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So that was part of this revelation. This mountain was so holy, stay away. God is this, you know, consuming fire, this, this, this uh, verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, right? The law and the perfect standard, all of that laid out in the Old Testament. Verse 22 is the hinge point of all of this, and he turns. But you, that's you and I in this period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him 
who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Literally what happened when, when God was giving the law. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. That's our seen world. Things that have been made. Why? In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And then he concludes, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our prayer, my prayer, all the people who have invested months and months of time into this series is that there would be a revelation of this unshakable kingdom, what, what the Bible refers to as your life being hidden with Christ. In other words, your life isn't here. Your life is hidden with Christ. Where is Christ? He's there. And all of human history is moving to that point, what is referred to as the new city, the new Jerusalem. And then it also brings us to this reality, this promise that God is shaking this world. Do you ever feel shaken? You feel like your world is shaken? <laughs> that seems like a dumb question after the last couple of years, right? Everything's been shaken. This isn't even that bad of a shaking. Think about times of world war, total upheaval. Think about if you were a refugee. There's all sorts of ways that the, the ordinary, everyday human experience is shaken to its core. When I look back on my life and I think about the markers where my life has been shaken, Health crisis, miscarriage, a friend's betrayal, people stealing from me, my kid in the hospital. Think, think about your journey of how your life has been shaken. This is not going to end. If you are waiting for the moment when your life stops being shaken, just talk to someone over 60. And some of those people are laughing and trying to control their laughter right now. And here's the reality. What is seen must be shaken to reveal that which is unshakable. What is seen, your life, your experience, your everyday in and out, must be shaken in order to reveal that which cannot be shaken, the new city, the new Jerusalem, the eternal and perfect kingdom of God and the reign of King Jesus. And this is why other parts of the Bible, consider it all joy when your life is shaken. Consider it all joy. You know, count this as wonderful. And, I, you know, you come to that and you go, this makes no sense. Because as this world is shaken, it reveals reality. And it reveals the new city. 
But we need eyes of faith. This world has been, is, and will be shaken, but we need eyes of faith to see what we have that is already unshakable. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He is unshakable and his kingdom has no end. It is unshakable and that is our inheritance. Even if you go back, for he was, you know, the Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. We're invited into that same promise. What are we inheriting? We're inheriting the kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, You could pick up a book in the New Testament. There's like hundreds, probably thousands of them, right? You could open it up, and you could try and disciple your own life, right? But that's not how God made us. He didn't give us Jesus 1, 2, 3, even though his holy scriptures are, are, are perfect and they're sufficient. He made us for community, to experience this together, because we need each other in this journey. So, Here's my challenge to you. Be one of the people who's looking out the window, right? Just four or five pages a day. That's not a lot. Just four or five pages a day. Just keep working through it. Take a look at it. Allow the Word of God to wash over it. Make the commitment. I'm going to be here as, as much as I can. I'm going to be on this journey, and I'm going to pray that God gives me eyes of faith to see and gives me a revelation, right? It's going to be exciting. Revealing a new city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us an inheritance free of charge. Not because of anything that we've done, but because you have adopted us as sons and daughters. And this is what you're moving us towards. God, give us eyes to see that we might understand your ultimate end for all things and the part that we play in it. God, reveal your purpose with a capital P and a small p in our lives, have your way. Open our eyes, both individually and as your church. We long for your kingdom to come. And that once we understand what this new city looks like, that you would use us to begin to bring it to our city. And that you would reveal that in us. God, we pray these things in the name and power of Jesus Christ.